This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Fix-It Central Hardware Store. Are you looking to build a new life for yourself? Consider employment at Fix-It Central, where we absolutely do not perform background checks. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. It's Father's Day week on Pod Cemetery, and we are celebrating with the not our real fathers. Not biological father. <laughs> Stepfathers can be real fathers. Absolutely. I was just making fun of the whole, you're not my real father. Bullshit that stepkids can pull sometimes. Yeah, but every kid pulls that shit. They <laughs> yeah. just have a different It's ex- a different excuse. shit, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> With... The Stepfather from 1987 and The Stepfather from 2009. You know what that means? It's a double feature. The late night double feature. Show. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Give me what you got. In 2002's Signs, what is the term for the geometric shapes the Hess family find in the fields of their farm? term for the geometric shapes and you're not talking like crop circles that is the answer okay <laughs> I was are like you why are me? you why are you having to talk to <laughs> I this? didn't know if they gave it like a technical name or some <laughs> shit like the ge- all you needed to know is that the movie's about aliens <laughs> they found geometric shapes in their crops what do we call those <laughs> All right, Kelsey. Yeah. What actor played Ash in Army of Darkness 1992? Bruce Campbell. That is correct. Love Bruce Campbell. I love him. Hail to the king, baby. That's right. All right, Kelsey. First up in this episode is 1987's uh, The Stepfather, based on a story by Carolyn Lefcourt. Brian Garfield, and Donald E. Westlake, screenplay by Donald E. Westlake, and directed by Joseph Rubin of Dreamscape fame. He also directed Sleeping with the Enemy. The same director of Dreamscape? Dreamscape? Yes. Really? Uh-huh. Interesting. <laughs> because you didn't hate this one? Yeah. And starring Terry O'Quinn, Jill Sholin, and Shelley Hack, what is The Stepfather about? A serial killer who goes from family to family, killing off families. Yeah, it's not like he doesn't find a new family to kill. He finds a new family. Supposedly. Yeah, he finds a new family to join, and then they inevitably disappoint him, is what has been happening up to this point. So we're seeing him incorporate himself into his newest family. Should people watch it or not? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it a lot. It was fun. Terry O'Quinn was pretty good. Yeah. Also, you get to see his butt and penis. You do. You see his penis in the first shot. (laughs) I wrote, that's a penis. (laughs) 
So if you ever wondered what the old guy from Lost, what his junk looks like, you can see it in this movie. <laughs> We're being so juvenile. Yep. <laughs> He's always wiener. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you should absolutely watch it. It's compelling. It's suspenseful. Maybe a little long. Yeah, maybe. I think I think the remake tried to make up for that by sprinkling in a little bit more stuff before the climax. We this, have a word for that. It's called filler. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the rule where there needs to, if you have a movie about a killer, then you need a death every, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. This isn't like that. It starts with a gruesome scene and then you don't get any more murder for a while. But it is very tense and pretty good. I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I saw it. So you should see it, too. And you can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 1987's The Stepfather. He used to look like somebody else. I have beautiful friends. I have a wonderful new family. Now he blends in with everybody else. If he wasn't here, my mom and I would be all right. But sooner or later. Hi, Honey. He'll leave his signature behind. He's just some crazy creep. Stop it! Wait a minute. Who am I here? The Stepfather. The Shocking <laughs> Truth. Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. Kelsey, get us started. How does The Stepfather begin? We open on Henry Morrison, and he is covered in blood. He's washing it off in the bathroom. Yes, he takes a shower, he shaves because he has a whole beard and a whole big bushy hair, head of hair, and he shaves it all off, and he gets a haircut, and he puts in some contact lenses, and he walks downstairs past the carnage very nonchalantly. There is a family that has been just yeah brutally murdered all around in the bottom on the first floor, and I guess he's just not concerned about DNA. I guess, but I think the issue is, is that he doesn't have like a DNA record. DNA only matters in this case if he's ever caught and he's just not planning on getting caught. They won't be able to find him via the DNA is the issue. Plus, it's the mid 80s. I'm sure DNA wasn't that great at the time. Him walking down the stairs. So we spend a long time with this grooming and change ritual that we see and he seems to be in a generally chipper mood and he whistles as he walks downstairs carrying a briefcase full of the clothes he was wearing at the time and as he walks downstairs we see the bloodbath there's just a gruesome scene everywhere his wife his stepdaughter brutally murdered and they're not shy about it they don't focus on any of it we just kind of as he walks through it, the camera kind of follows him and then outside. And he's whistling and he crosses the street and walks away as if nothing happened. I thought that was pretty neat. Yes. Actually, it was very effective. You're like, oh, Jesus. Yes. And then you care, the camera carries on just like he does. Mm -hmm. So it gives you some real insight into his state of mind yes. during this phase. So... He gets on a ferry, he dumps the suitcase, and then... So one year later, we meet our main girl. Stephanie, who is played by Jill Sholin, who was 23 at the time, and that's going to be very important later. But her character is 16 in this. Her mom, the Terry O'Quinn's new 
wife girlfriend girlfriend they never i don't say think they, got they ever married. get married in this one yeah is only 16 years older than jill sholin <laughs> shelly hack is her name and terry o'quinn was only like in his mid-30s at the time so it's one of those cases where the kid actually isn't that much younger and it is painfully obvious in this she's supposed to be 16 not even fucking close <sighs> and her voice is kind of deeper and gruffer and it's like yeah no she's not a teenager she's 23 so we meet stephanie and her mother and they're just two f- gals who know how to have old-fashioned fun and playing in all those leaves that halloween could have used <laughs> You just have tons of dead leaves that the mom was raking up. And then they get in a leaf fight. Mother. Leaf fight, everybody. Mother. Gotcha. All right. You're asking for it. You One more step. You're going to get it. <laughs> and then Jerry comes home and the happiness very quickly vanishes from Stephanie's face. Yeah, real quick. Kelsey said Jerry. He changed his name, obviously. Jerry is his name in this life. Yes. So to show us that Stephanie is not happy, she goes, yay, and then dumps the rest of the leaves on her head. Which is a very sort of like, womp, womp kind of moment. Exactly, like super unrealistic, (laughs) but sure. Like cut to commercial. Exactly. And Jerry surprises Stephanie with a puppy, and she's excited about the puppy, but when he says, that's my girl, and, like, goes to, like, touch her shoulder, she, Mm -hmm. like, basically pushes him away. Yeah, and when Susan, the wife, the mom, says, what do you say, she's really reluctant to, like, thank him. You know, she says thank you, but it's, like, obvious that she's excited to have the puppy, she's not excited to have Jerry. Yes, And they don't really explain why. She's just kind of creeped out by him. I think it's also just like, hey, you know what? My mother and I were doing just fine. We don't need some stranger here who's taking up my mother's time and attention and gets to tell me what to do. Like, what do I get out of this scenario? I'm 16. I don't need a dad. Right. And if if, if I felt like she was just being a typical girl who doesn't like her stepdad, but- they kind of imply, and she I w- I wonder if this figures is, out what's going on or what. I wonder if this was a rewrite. They never tell us how the father died, but they do imply that it was rather suspicious. Suspicious, close to when he showed up. Yeah, and that they so maybe he's making these openings in exactly, but they never say that. Yeah, they never clarify that, and I wonder, like I said, if it's a rewrite. And that was originally going to be part of the story, and they were just like, ah, eh, cut it out. Or they edited it out. They filmed mm-hmm. it and edited it. Yeah. Edited it. <laughs> I would also like to point out that she's wearing a sweater with lines of cows, and then fence, and then sheep, and then fence, and then cows, and I then did not fence, and then sheep. What 16-year-old... Where's that kind of sweater? Well, when you're trying to make a 23-year-old look like a 16-year-old, you got to aim real young. <laughs> and then maybe the audience will just split the difference. It looks ridiculous. <laughs> so the we're told, basically, that Stephanie's been having trouble in school. And 
the father, the stepfather comes to her and he's like, you know, I really hope that you could try to be better in school this year than you were last year. Yeah. And so what does she do? She starts a fight that day in yeah. school. And she gets expelled. Yes. And they have a family talk about, you know, where the mother's trying to calm everyone down and then says, we just need to figure out, okay, it is what it is. What are we going to do moving forward? And they're talking about, you know, maybe sending her away. Well, she suggests to a boarding school. She yeah. says, you know what? I don't know that this is working for me. Why don't we just send me to a boarding school? Which in any other case, any other stepfather would be stoked. Right. Yeah. I get to He's be alone not. with my girlfriend mm-hmm. and get this fucking kid who hates me out of here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. But that is not his plan because he wants the perfect family. And so right. if and she, so she leaves, can't leave, yeah. Uh-huh. They won't have that perfect family yep. anymore. I want to go to boarding school. You want to leave home? It's not a family without children. We should also mention at this point, we have learned that he is a realtor. Yes. And at one point he's alone, like, so, like, he's showing a family a house. And at one point he's alone with their daughter, pushing her on the swing. And he mistakenly calls his daughter a different name. Called her Stephanie, then he calls her Jill. And she asks, who's Jill? Yes. And he's like, my daughter... And then she said, I thought you said your daughter's name was Stephanie. It's just just like this little girl, you know, like confused. Jill is the name of the actress who plays Stephanie, by the way. Yes. And this is meant to to bring us further into his psyche. And like he totally laughs and because this is bringing us further into his psyche, showing us that it's not even important to him to like keep his story straight. Well, I think he got kind of daydreams. And when he thinks about his daughter, he thinks about, you know, one of his daughters probably had a deeper connection with this Jill character. And so when he thinks about his daughter, he thinks about Jill. And so he has a hard time keeping it straight as anyone who's lived multiple lives would. So she eventually Stephanie is in her room and she's on the phone. And there's some really, really cheesy lines in this movie. Yeah. And like at one point, like they, they, don't really talk the way people would normally speak. And she goes, I got to hang. The firing squad has arrived. Like, uh-huh. I got to hang? When adults <laughs> try to write dialogue for teens, they fuck it up. <laughs> Very consistently. Yes. And that's the mother. And while the mother and the Stephanie are having this conversation, we get a sinister shot of the father going down into the basement and like he gets like a saw and you're like oh god but it's all innocuous he's making a birdhouse yes and they end up putting up that birdhouse a little later and it's designed like the perfect home and he wants a family of birds to live in that yes and then that night she's in bed and she's reading The Outsiders. Yeah. Which is funny because that's not a 16-year-old book. No. It's a middle school book. <laughs> anyway, she can hear them having sex, which is super fucked up. Yeah, and so she puts on music. If you have music. a fucking kid, like, keep your fucking voice down, Jesus. Right. Mother's being pretty vocal. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, though, we see his face. He looks bored. Yeah, uh-huh. Like, he's just doing this, for, like, to make her It's happy. not about the attraction. It's about the, the family. family. Yeah. Meanwhile, the woman that he killed previously had a brother. Jim Ogilvy. 
He is determined to find out what happened. And the only person who seems to want to talk to him is a journalist. And so he goes and speaks to that journalist to get details that the cops won't give him. Right. And he asks the journalist to basically run an update on the story about how they still haven't found the guy and details of the original murder and who they th- what they think he looks like and stuff like that. And to run a picture of him so maybe it will, it will come up because a year later he's probably popped back up somewhere else and now people will see the picture and they'll know. Mm-hmm. What ultimately happens there is that the, the article runs and we'll see that later, but it runs without his picture, mm-hmm. which pisses Jim off. But the reporter's like, my editor wouldn't let me run it with the picture. Back at the house, there's a barbecue. A yeah, they're having like a backyard barbecue. And Jerry gives a whole speech about being welcomed into the family and da 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 uh, This is as good as it gets. <laughs> I hope you don't think what I'm going to say is pretentious. But I, I sell houses. That's my job. But sometimes I think it's more than that. Sometimes I truly believe that what I sell is the American dream. You're here. You can call me sentimental. I don't care. When I came here, I was a stranger. But I've never felt more at home anywhere in my life. I have beautiful friends. I have a wonderful new family. <laughs> have a good time. Thank you. It's, he's so obsessed with family, you think that he was a character in The Fast and the Furious. <laughs> The most important thing in life will always be the people in this room. Right here. Right now. Salute me, familia. <laughs> did you like that? I did. <laughs> and at one point, somebody brings up the newspaper article and they're like, can you believe some guy killed his entire family? And all this stuff. And then Jerry kind of looks at the article and he starts to space out and they're like, Jer, what's going on? And he was like, yeah, no, this is absolutely unthinkable or whatever it is that he says. He says, maybe they disappointed him. Yeah. Right. That's what that note says. I had it here. I was like, maybe they disappointed him. And, but he says that kind of quiet, right? Like he does, does he, does he not say it to everybody? I think he says it quietly. I don't know that anybody hears him. Yeah. I have it written down here, but I didn't have the context. So I was just like, I'll skip it. So now he knows that the heat's a little bit more on. And he's freaking out, so he goes down to the basement. But what he doesn't realize is that Stephanie is in there, too. Yeah, she comes down a little bit later, and he's, like, talking to himself, himself pacing angrily, shaking things, banging things. Yeah, Stephanie's therapist, who has been advising her to just give him a shot. I'm sure he's not a bad guy. I understand why you're upset, but he's just a dude who's, you know, fallen in love with your mom and you're, you and your mom are like a package deal. And so like, you know, appreciate that he's going through this and give him a shot. Uh, he also says when she tells him about him pacing in the basement and talking to himself, he's like, Stephanie, like, that's just a thing people do. Which is true. It's true, yeah. It is true, and I agree to an extent. Like, sometimes you're so angry 
Yeah. That you shout by yourself. And and I can imagine that if somebody else was in the house and I didn't know. You'd be so embarrassed. Yes. And, yeah. and you, it might seem a little bit weird. And you might have said some things that sound aggressive or whatever. And, and he does say, he's like, you know how it is. You know how you got to smile all the time. And she just goes, sure. And it's like, come on. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's probably the most real thing he's ever said. I, mean, I can imagine being freaked out if I'm Stephanie. Oh, absolutely. But I can also imagine if a young girl that I was a therapist for comes to me and says, I walked in on him and he was alone in the basement and he was muttering to himself and he was really angry. I'd be like, yeah, and? <laughs> so all this stuff is is not only easy to write off, it's understandable. But Stephanie is not satisfied. She insists that something's... That her mom is being catfish. Yeah. <laughs> We've been watching a lot of catfish lately. <laughs> we just have. It's been one of those casual shows when you just put something it's on. on Hulu. Yeah. So Stephanie ends up finding that story in the newspaper and she's like, Oh my God, this is Jerry. It happened around the time that he came into our lives, you know, like, and I'm already suspicious of him. So it is Jerry, but there was no picture. So she writes to the newspaper to see if she can get a copy of the picture. And now it's just a waiting game because they didn't have the internet. Don't fucking talk to me about DARPAnet or anything. People <laughs> didn't have the internet in their homes back then. So she's waiting on that picture to show up, but who finds it first? Jerry does, and he takes it, and he doesn't show it to her. He sees that his picture is in there. He opens it up, sees his picture, seals it back up, and she's like, hey, did anything come for me? And he's like, as a matter of fact, it did. I don't know if this is the sort of thing you should be looking at, though. And she's like, uh, uh, and he's like, nah, I'm just kidding. Here you go. And it's her, her Cosmo. Anything for me? As a matter of fact, something did come for you. Can I have it? I don't know. What do you mean? I don't know if it's the kind of thing you should be looking at. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There you go. Which, by the way, I remember when Cosmo was like 300 fucking pages. So do I. That's... Like, it was a flashback for me. <laughs> Cosmo's just like a normal magazine now, but there was a time when it was, like, huge. You could kill somebody with a Cosmo. Okay, maybe it wasn't that big, but when I got it in high school, it was It was, big. like, this thick. Yeah. I'm visually <laughs> visualizing. It's, like, an inch and a half to two inches thick. Like, it's pretty big. I loved having Cosmo. Yeah. just I look at, It was 90% ads. But, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> I was a typical girl. Yeah. So what he does is he finds another picture of somebody else and reseals the envelope and puts it back in the mail. So next time she comes and gets there before he does, she gets it and she opens it up and it's not him. But Dr. Bondurant, her therapist, is still – she agrees oh, – okay, fine. He agrees – okay, fine. Listen, I'll check your stepdad out. Like – Fine. If, you, if you're really that worried, I'll talk to him. You want me to talk to him? I'll talk to him. But the way he decides to talk to him is by making an appointment to see a house. Yeah, because he doesn't want to give him the opportunity to prepare yeah. to lie mm -hmm. to him. And he makes up a whole story about, you know, how he's single and all of that. And Jerry starts to 
get suspicious when this dude starts asking him a bunch of personal questions. Yeah. And then Dr. Bondurant lets it slip something about his daughter. And the guy's like, I thought you were single. And he's like, uh, newly nope. single or whatever. He says, my wife gets on me for that all the time. And he goes, your wife, you said you were single. And he goes, oh, I'm probably just stressed out. Sorry, force of habit. My wife gets on me for that all the time. I thought you said you were a bachelor. Uh, recently divorced. I see. Sometimes I forget I'm not married anymore. Probably just stress. That was his response? I, I don't th- I, I think that's what I have written here. But, yeah, because he's talking to him and, like, he says, oh, who would really want family? And and Jerry says, well, tradition is important. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's there's a lot of subtext because we know who Jerry is. We know who the doctor is. And when the doctor turns his back to Jerry because they're redoing the the dining room or something like that, he grabs one of the planks of wood and just beats the doctor to death with it. And it is real. Like, he hits the dude. And dude, like, puts it like, what the fuck? And he, like, puts, (laughs) puts his hands up and he struggles to fight back. And it's messy, but not, like, choreographed messy. It's, it just felt really real and they weren't using sound effects. They weren't using cuts when the impact is supposed to happen to make it seem bigger than it actually was. It looked like what it might look like if you beat a guy to death with a plank of wood. Mm -hmm. I was very impressed with the restraint that they showed. Yeah, it's very creepy. And in the conversation that they have, we get a little bit of insight into Jerry's character and I almost like that they don't give you too much information. They give you enough. Uh You know, it sounds like you had a strict upbringing. He's all about tradition. He's all about the the perfect family. And then constantly, something he will constantly mutter under his breath is, we just need a little order around here. We just need a little order. Uh Suggesting that he probably grew up in a very abusive home with his own father. Uh And that's where he has all his idea. And, like, they give you just enough, and that's perfect. To make it fine. intriguing, yes. We don't need to know his backstory. We don't need a Stepfather prequel, which I haven't seen Stepfather 2, but I wouldn't be surprised if they had flashbacks to his upbringing in that one. Hmm. But it's totally unnecessary here. I wrote down before this, they need someone for him to kill before he kills the family, because, like I said earlier, it's kind of a big gap. Between the murder that happens at the beginning and then the climax. So they need something in there. And so I said, the psychiatrist is the perfect fit, which it turned out he was. Mm-hmm. I wrote, although I'm scared for that dog and the reporter. What dog? The dog that he got. Oh, the her. puppy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But he needs to dispose of the psychiatrist's body. So he rolls him up in the plastic, he puts him in his car near a cliff and douses the thing in gasoline, takes a newspaper, lights the newspaper on fire, shoves it in the gas tank, and then pushes it off a cliff where it explodes, which I guess they're not going to find any traces of accelerant, but it's gasoline. So if a car explodes and you find gasoline, of course, right? He has to break it to Stephanie later that, you know, honey, I'm sorry. The doctor was killed. He went off a cliff and she's, Really upset about it. I wrote, are, are they just, is he just hoping that the paper burns up and doesn't leave any trace behind? But it never comes up again. He gets away kind of scot clean. 
with this. And it brings him and Stephanie closer together because then he's her shoulder to cry on. Yes. But that doesn't last very long because... She starts dating. She starts dating and she's dating this guy named Paul and he catches them kissing on their front porch and he gets pissed and he tells Paul... Like, what are you trying to do, rape her or whatever? Yeah. And it's intense. He tells his wife he was trying to rape our daughter. He tells the kid, you could go to jail for what you've done. And he's like, I'm a teenager, too. Like, he, she say, he says, she's 16. And he's like, I'm 16. <laughs> <laughs> you! You could go to jail. This girl is 16 years old. So am I. Jerry? What's wrong? This punk was trying to rape our daughter. I just kissed her goodnight. Stephanie? Kiss me goodnight. I wanted him to. I like Paul, Mom. Well, of course you do, honey. Jerry, I really She's don't not think ready for this. She's big... still a child. I'm not a child. And so Stephanie gets mad, obviously. She runs upstairs and her mother goes after her and she's just like, you need to respect him. And she's like, he is some crazy creep. Yeah. Like, how can you not see it? And it was at this point that I got really annoyed with the mom. I I think it was better later because she does go back to him and she's just like, what was that? I've known that kid longer than I've known you. Right. But I do also appreciate that she didn't want to undermine, undermine yeah, him, uh-huh. which is a problem. Uh, with parents, it definitely is. It, it, you don't undermine the other parent in front of the Anyone in authority, you yeah. don't undermine them in front of the person that's being disciplined. Talk to that person Talk directly. To them alone. Just like I'm sure you deal with this at work being a teacher, like another teacher doesn't undermine your authority as a teacher in front of the kids. Or they're and not when it happens, to. it's yeah. really bad. Yeah. It's really, really bad. It gives the kids a specific signal, which you do not want the kids yeah. to ever have. Even if I don't agree with something a teacher does, I would never say it in front of another student. Right. But this is the point of no return for Jerry. Yeah, because she's basically saying, I don't agree with you, and that's not what a perfect wife does. Right. The, his his wife is talking back. His daughter is yelling at him and so making he, out with boys. They're disappointing him. Yep. So he immediately goes and quits his job. Which is apparently his MO. Yes. He quits his job. He stops the newspaper. So when he kills the family and leaves, nobody notices the newspapers piling up. So he's long gone by the time they find the family. And nobody's expecting him at his job or anything like that. So he quits his job. And I wrote that, wait, won't his coworkers and family see each other? Like, we saw them at that barbecue together. They know each other. How is he expecting to keep quitting a secret? And how has he done that in the past? And I was thinking, for that matter, if he's wearing contacts, how has a contact never fallen out around her? Does he just never take them out? Like, what's the deal with the contacts? Especially since they're a different color. If one falls out, like, she'd know. When does you, when do your contacts ever fall out? They fall out, but they're also contacts from 2019. <laughs> you know, they're, they breathe a lot better. They're not, like, basically hard glass, which contacts in the 80s, man. That must have fucking sucked. I'm just poking holes in the story that we don't actually see. So I'm not too concerned with that. And he starts to, instead of going to work, create a new identity in another town. And that's what he did the first time. 
as well. When he quit his job, that's when he created this identity here. So he's technically showing up before the murders ever happened, plus the prolonged time where nobody finds the bodies. He's been in this new town for a couple of months or whatever, you know, a couple of weeks at least. Yes, he's uh, he's already like interviewing for a new job, like at a life insurance company. And he's like, I'm all about the family policies. And he picks a new widow to court. Well, it's interesting because he at one point he's like walking down a street and he sees a little girl and she goes, daddy's home. And she goes and gives him a big hug. And at first I thought. Okay, he's we're gonna seeing kill the dad. it. He's going to kill yeah, the dad. But then later, he encounters a widow. Now, who knows? Maybe it's like, well, this would be easier. Yeah. Uh-huh. The guy's already gone. But there's some implied potential story going on here, yes. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. It makes you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. So, meanwhile, the brother, Jim Ogilvie, has – how does he figure out where Jerry lives or who remember. he knows is Henry? He figures out where he lives, like the new town, which is Oak Ridge, Washington, which is not a real place. But he figures out where he is, and he starts, like, knocking on doors and shit like that, looking for him. And he ends up making it to Jerry's house, and Jerry's not there. And Susan's like, no, he's at work. And she calls the real estate agency and they're like, nah, he hasn't worked here for a couple days now or he quit a while ago or whatever. She's like, what? Meanwhile, Jim's gone, but Jerry comes home and Susan confronts him about this. And he says, ah, that stupid bitch or whatever it is that he says. Hi, honey. Where have you been? Showing the Morton house to some folks from California. Don't lie to me, Jerry. What? I called your office today. I didn't get a message. Of course you didn't get a message. They said you stopped working there several days ago. What? The receptionist said that you left. That idiot. That new girl can't... Susan, I never got anyone fired in my life, but that girl, I don't know. You mean you still work there? Of course. Where else would I be? I don't know. I just, I don't know what I thought. I'm sorry. This is very upsetting. Old man Grace is still there. No, forget it, honey. Oh, she's new and she keeps fucking up like this, effectively, is the argument that he makes. And during the argument, he ends up calling Susan somebody else's name. No, he calls himself a different name. He says, he's talking about how the girl always messes up. Oh, she didn't know Blank was here. And he says some other name. And she goes, who? Yeah. And he goes, wait, who am I here? And she goes, so fucking good. It's really good. It's an amazing line. It is. Forget it. She probably just got the name wrong or something. Hodgkins, what's to get wrong? What did you say? Huh? Wait a minute. Who am I here? Jerry. Jerry. Jerry Blake. Thank you, honey. Because he like gets this kind of far off look in his face and it's like he's genuinely asking because he's lost track. Wait, who, who am I here? 
again? And she goes, Jerry? And he goes, oh yeah, Jerry. Jerry, right. <laughs> and then he goes to attack her. Yes. This is when <laughs> you know? he's gone crazy. Right, because he's already decided he's going to kill her. So the fact that she's found out isn't really a big hitch in his plan. He just for- legitimately forgot <laughs> who he was supposed to be. And when she reminded him, he's like, right, good. All right, now you can die. You yes. Know? And he goes to... And that's when Ogilvy dies. Yes, in a very... Shining way. Shining sort of way. He shows up and fucking Jerry stabs him to death. Yes, like anytime there's a character who spends like the entire movie going after the killer just to be killed as soon as they find him. It's it's the the shining shining moment. (laughs) So anyway, he, he hits Susan over the head. She falls down the basement stairs and she's all fucked up. And he's like, okay, good. I'm going to get Stephanie, who is getting in the shower. And we get to see her completely naked. And when a character's supposed to be 16 years old, that's creepy as fuck. Mm-hmm. I don't care that she's not legitimately 16 years old. I mean, I'm glad you didn't show me child pornography. <laughs> <laughs> but like, why was that necessary? Because mm-hmm. it was the '80s they, and it was a it horror was the movie, '80s, and they needed a naked girl. Yeah, but this is when Jim shows up and he kills Jim, and he continues to look for Stephanie. He goes after Stephanie, who winds up crawling up into the attic. Yes. and I got some major uh, Hellraiser feels here. She's going after him in an attic. He's her stepdad. He yeah. even says, come to daddy at one point. Yeah. Come to daddy. Come on. Come here. Come to daddy. Some real Hellraiser feels, but that's the same year Hellraiser came out. But then again, the book had already come out. The Hellraiser book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Clive Barker, I think you've got a lawsuit on your hands. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, whatever. (laughs) And he has his Christmas vacation moment when trying (laughs) to attack her. He falls through the ceiling because up in those attics, you can only walk on the boards because the only thing that's between the boards is insulation and drywall. And so you just pop right through drywall. If you ever want to look cool busting through a wall, if you just have some spare drywall lying around, you can do that. Because that stuff, you can punch through it really easy. But usually you put like wallpaper or you, you know, you paint over it or whatever. So he fucking falls right through the ceiling into the top floor and he's all sorts of messed up. So she comes back down and she grabs some glass I think to to stab him with it like it's a knife, uh, but he comes after her because he gets back up again. But before he can kill her, we see a confrontation. And then Susan, who's crawled her way back up from the basement and wasn't actually dead, grabs Jim's revolver and shoots Jerry. She scared the hell out of me when she popped up out of nowhere. Also, <laughs> And I was like, she shoots, she scores. And then like they have a fight, right? No, well, yeah, because he's. He he gets back up and she like shoots him in the leg and like let's get ready to rumble. And he he's still going after Stephanie. And this is when Stephanie stabs him right in the chest. Yes. And he says, I love you. <sighs> and then falls down the stairs. Dead. Then we get 
harp music for some reason. (laughs) And the last scene, the sort of like, take that dead guy scene, is Susan and Stephanie cutting down the birdhouse. Yes. And that is the plot of The Stepfather. So, Kelsey, it's lightning round time. Do you have any other notes? I don't have any notes. I just want to say this movie is really good because having so much knowledge about who this guy is without them having to, like, spell it out for you was really nice. I loved all of it. It's restraint, I'm telling you. Yeah, and it's it's just delicately woven into the story, and I love it, and it makes him so scary because he's so not scary. Yeah. That's... Really scary. <laughs> and just like the dread that you would feel when he would be like creeping around and stuff. I, I really liked it. And he does a great job and it's just filled with dread. And then it it culminates in a great end fighting scene. And it's really good. I would really recommend it. I was very surprised. Right. You thought it would be a shitty tra- movie. Trash, right? Yeah. <laughs> I only had really one other comment, and that was that I realized again later on that, wait a minute, when he's creating this new life, another inconsistency, everyone in this new town in Washington knows him as having a shaved face, but he didn't shave until after he killed the other family. He also didn't have the contacts. He didn't have the same hairdo. So everyone in this new town met him looking like the killer in the pictures. So Then he changes his whole identity after he kills the family, and then he moves to this new town. But he's already been setting up a life there. It's just another inconsistency. That's a good point. But, I mean, it's it's the weak point of the story, but it's not, like, a big deal. It's just, uh, it's a little bit of a bummer, and it's a bummer of their own design. They probably could have designed around that somehow, and they just didn't. So, oh well. So... Kelsey, with that in mind, what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 69, dudes! 69, dudes! Try 88. Awesome. 88. Now, awesome. there are 32 reviews and no consensus written on Rotten Tomatoes. There's also no reviews on Metacritic or CinemaScore. Do you think 88 is overrated or underrated? I get a certain sense from you. I think it's a little overrated. Yeah, 88 seems a little high. I'll give it an 80, though. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'll give it an 80. Yeah, uh-huh. I think 80 80. I works. shot low because I feel like I constantly, when I like a movie and I say hi, it's always yeah, lower. Uh-huh. <laughs> totally. But this was surprisingly good. It was a nice, pleasant surprise. Yes. And we just sat down, thought we'd see some, you know... Shitty 80s thriller horror movie, and it was actually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Good one, Stepfather. Mm-hmm. And in, a, in Kelsey's opinion, better than Dreamscape, Joseph Rubin. <laughs> a lot better. I love Dreamscape. You ever see Enter the Dragon? I've seen it six times. Okay. Okay. Are you forgetting that there's a rape scene that we're supposed to not think of as a rape scene? You're, no, you're right. I I didn't give it a great score, but I liked it better than you. <laughs> yes, totally. All right. That is 1987's The Stepfather. Before we move on to our next movie in this double feature, 
Kelsey Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. In 1985's Reanimator, yes, reanimation is made possible by what? They have options. I want to see if you can do without the options. I'm trying to. I remember they specifically call the green stuff a name, and it's not a reagent. Although that would be pretty cool. I don't know. What are the options? Can you just tell me how they do it? You inject it at the base of their skull. Injection. Oh, okay. The options are injection, electricity, oh, magic. Yeah. You're right. I didn't need the options. Artificial intelligence. I thought they were asking what they were calling the stuff. No. Okay. All right. All right, Kelsey, I want you to listen to this question carefully because it sounds like it's a stupid, dumb, obvious question, but that like tells you the answer. But just listen to the whole thing. Over the course of the film, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, 1931, do the transformations of the titular character become involuntary? So it's asking, everyone knows he takes a potion and he, and he turns, right? It's asking, by the end of the movie, do they become involuntary? Yes. Yes, that's right. That's the whole fucking premise of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Not necessarily. It's the the premise is the is a representation of the duality of man and he creates this and potion and then he can no longer control it. it. Yeah. That's an additional plot element, but it's not the premise. <laughs> anyway, I also our, like that you just take random movies. I very specifically only take ones that we've done. I would like to, but there are only so many questions. <laughs> Well, there are tons of questions on these cards that I'm not asking. Yeah, uh -huh, me too. So I'm taking some that I just, I work with. Like there's stuff for uh, Don't Look Now, which we haven't seen yet. The Devil's Rejects, which you don't like. Alice, Sweet Alice. Which is on the list. Yeah, uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, I already asked that question. Army of Darkness, Freaks, which we haven't seen. I've seen it. The Invitation, which we haven't discussed on this show. Poltergeist, which I already asked. Hills Have Eyes, which we haven't discussed on this show. Suicide Club, which we haven't discussed on this show. So, like, I went with one that you had a chance of getting right, and that was about a famous horror movie. It's not a big deal. All right, moving on to our second film in this double feature. The Late Night Double Feature Show. 2009's The Stepfather. Written by J.S. Cardone, based on the earlier screenplay and story by the same people I mentioned earlier. Directed by Nelson McCormick, who also directed the Prob Night remake, Ugh. which we watched on this show. Ugh. And starring Penn Badgley, who's the main Woo! character in... Woo! Woo! You. You. Sexy man. Which you shouldn't think that. <laughs> uh, Dylan Walsh. Seal Award, Amber Heard, before she was uh, more before famous. Before she was famous. Uh, and April O'Neil from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. <laughs> Paige Turco. <laughs> What's the stepfather about, Kelsey? It is the same Same story. fucking thing. <laughs> Should people watch it? I think if you've seen the original, you don't really need to see this one. That being said, I do not think it's as awful as everyone says it is. Really, no. Not at all. Like... Is it as good as the first one? No. There that are, does not mean it's a terrible movie. There are elements where there's more Sometimes there's tension. more believability. Yeah. Yeah, more tension sometimes. But there is also a lot more filler. And a lot of, like, this movie, to me, felt like they were going for the wrong audience. It felt like they wanted this to be a teen yes. horror film. 
No, you need to have an adult perspective, I think. Yeah. And and if and if it could help specifically a parent's perspective and a step parent's perspective for this movie to like really resonate. And you're right. I think the target was kids. It was and teens. It, because and- oh, kids hate their step parents. So a step parent villain. So we have a guy that's much more villainous. And throughout the movie, it's more like, are they gonna figure out that it's him? Are they going to figure out that it's him? It draws it out kind of like a rom-com does. Yeah. You know, where it's like, oh, they're they're lying about it. And eventually, you know, the other shoe's going to drop and somebody's going to find out about it. And then finally, the stuff of substance can actually happen. But they're going to drag this, are they going to find out mystery as long as they possibly can. And I think that style here doesn't do it any favors. And considering the director... Likes to make teen horror movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't surprise me. This movie was put in the wrong hands. Yeah. But, I, but I, it, I think that if it weren't in his hands, this might have been almost, if not, just as good as the original. But unfortunately, it feels like I'm watching a movie that was meant for me when I was in high school. Yeah. And even if I was in high school, I wouldn't have liked it because that would have been blatantly obvious. Yeah. But again... It's not that bad. It's not. If you didn't watch the original, I would recommend you watch the original. But if you refuse to watch the original, then watch this one. Yeah. I I think this could stand in its place as a not as good as the original, but still an all right movie. Yes. That's our recommendation. You can take it or leave it. And when we get back, we will talk about 2009's The Stepfather. What if the day you came home... A total stranger. This is David. Good to finally meet you. Was in your house. Didn't you close your door? <laughs> it's really giving me the creeps. There is a resemblance. It could be anybody. On October 16th. Things aren't going to change around here. Fear. He's hiding something. It doesn't mean he's a killer. Finds a home. The stepfather. He's a really good guy. Rated PG-13. In theaters October 16th. All right, Kelsey. How does this stepfather begin? Same thing, only this time it's Christmas time. Yeah, and it's PG-13. So they're just like vaguely zombie colored. And there's no wounds of any kind. But we do eventually see bloody like tools, like a meat tenderizer and a knife. We see them bloody in the sink. But like there's no blood anywhere else in this scene it's just so toned down and that was when i was like oh no there goes the bloodbath Mm -hmm. there goes the boobies (laughs) and the penis yeah and the penis we didn't get a penis and the peepee so i I wrote down what did he just poison them (laughs) i mean there's bloody tools in the sink but they're completely dry and unmarked and him getting a flashback of his daughter screaming as he leaves, and then he's, like, kind of scared by it, it dulls the coldness that you felt in the first one. Yes. Where he just cleans up, like he's doing his morning ritual, grabs his stuff, and just walks out the door. Like, yep, this I'm just going to work. This guy, it's like, you feel more like he's just, I'm nuts! <laughs> This version plays it more like he's got more duality inside of him. Like he's repressing the side of him that says this is wrong. Whereas in the original, he never questions what he's doing. No, never. 
in this one, it kind of weakens the character a little bit. Yes. Makes he's, him he's not, not seem as, as, as terrifying. Demented. Yeah. Diabolical. Uh-huh. Scary. Right. And like you say, like in the first one, he doesn't doubt himself. Like he thinks he's 100% justified. It's not like he just snaps. It's like, no, I killed them because I had to because they were disrespectful. They disappointed me. In this one, it's just like, no, I just went nuts. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's not as scary. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that's that's a big change in tone and characterization in this new one that makes it worse than the original. Mm-hmm. There's actually competent policemen in this version. Uh, they are going after the guy instead of the brother. And so a few things here, right? They mention the brother as a potential suspect, and then immediately they're like, nah, it's not him. He'd be an Oscar-winning actor if he was faking that. Like his reaction to his sister dying. Dylan Bennett spent the night with a bottle of Jack Daniels. It was his first Christmas without his family. All the more reason. Well, you didn't see him when he ID'd his family. Looked like he'd been hit by a freight train. Seeing his kids like that, all the blood, yeah, it was definitely a nightmare for him. If this guy did it, he gets my vote for a goddamn Academy Award. Okay, then why even bring him up? Because he doesn't come back in the entire movie. Mm -hmm. The brother is just a non-factor. I mean, he was a non-factor in the original, but he gave us a little insight into into the dude's past. This movie, they're using this scene with the police to explain his past actions. And the way they explain, like, oh, all these scenarios are actually connected and it's all the same guy, it makes him seem, like I said before, just a murderer, but he's not cold-blooded at all. But it does seem like he plans to find a family to kill them. Yes. Whereas in the original, it was, no, I want a family and they always disappoint me, so they have to die. He's not actively going out to find a family to kill. Mm -hmm. And this one... He is, which just, he's just a slasher villain now, mm-hmm. which is kind of a bummer. Yes. And I know we said this movie wasn't that bad. It isn't that bad. But when you compare it to the original, the original is just a lot better. Mm-hmm. This is when we meet the new family that he's going to be with. Yeah, three kids this time instead of one. And the main kid is a boy this time. Yes. And he doesn't want to go to boarding school. He has been sent to military school. Yes. And they don't really ever explain why. Well, the implication is that he was acting out just like Stephanie was in the original. I guess, but they really don't show us that. Yeah, it also seems like he had no idea that his mom even got engaged. Yeah. Which is weird. Like, she wouldn't have said that to him. Like, she, in the time this guy was at military school, six months, they say, that she met him and then got engaged to him. And he's finding out for the first time when he comes home. That's kind of weird. Yeah. And he comes home and they're having, like, an engagement party. Yeah. So well, it's prob- also, also so it it's a welcome happen. party for him, too. They, you know, surprise. It is a surprise welcome home party, too. But then... It doesn't make any sense because when they had the party in the original one, there was a reason for the dad to, like, make a speech about family and all of that. And thank you for welcoming me into the family. There's always room for family. But in this one, when it's ostensibly a surprise party for this kid coming home, and then he gives a speech about how, hey, we're getting engaged. Like, you're right. It seems like it's an ac- actually an engagement party and not a welcome home party. And it's a little unclear. I would like... To propose a toast. First of all, I want to thank Susan and Sean and Beth, who in a very short time have 
taken me in and made me feel at home. To Michael, your return makes us complete. Family is the most important thing. Without it, we have nothing. He's right. We're family. The girlfriend, Amber Heard, is on the dad's side because it's because of the stepfather that the guy from you might be able to stay and not go back to military school because it's really important to him to have the whole family together. Yeah. And two things. Number one, Amber Heard is just in a bikini through this whole fucking movie. They have a pool in the backyard, like, as an excuse. Well, they also say that he used to be a swimmer, but that's something he did, got him kicked out of the pool for forever, and yet the stepfather was able to make it okay and let him do And we that? never see him practice. Yeah, it felt like it swim fan. It felt like they were like, hey, there was this slasher teen movie about... <laughs> and I mean, Penn Bagley almost looks like the guy from Swim Fan. You a know what bit. I mean? So it's like... Yeah. It's like somebody saw Swim Fan and wanted to put mix that with Stepfather. But to your point about him getting him back into the school facilities to train, my second point I was going to make is that this stepfather does a lot better job of ingratiating himself to the kid. He goes out of his way. He has private talks with him. And the guy's like, you're a stranger, but he doesn't, like, hate the dude, you know? And then dude's like, yeah, hey, I got you back in. Oh, really? That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Or, hey, come down here. Just you and me. Don't tell your mom we're going to have some shots and talk man to man. Okay, great. Like, he's doing a pretty good job of being, like, a a relatable stepfather. Whereas the other one was, like, a perfectionist. And you're my daughter now, so you will do what you're told. This guy is putting on more of an act. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack is incredibly desperate throughout this entire film. No, wait till the end. There are so many times where the song overpowers the scene. And I don't recognize any of these songs, but it was in ma- it was made in 2009, so it was right around when like teen angsty rock almost like emo, but emo was on its way out. So this is like the leftovers of it, and that's what this music is. And like I said, they overpower several of the scenes to the point where it's even difficult to hear the people talking. And it was just like they were desperate to get the teenage audience. It's bizarre. It's a bizarre idea to try and turn this into a teenager movie. (laughs) Yeah, see, and that's the thing. This could have just been straight horror. This doesn't have to be a teen slasher. I think we mentioned it before the jump that it is. Like, it focuses... On the teen is the main the character. The kid from you yeah. and Amber Heard, there are several scenes where they're just hooking up. And it's like, why is this in this movie? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And by the way, so whenever I see Penn Badgley as being the main character in you, now I only, whenever I see him in this movie, I only just see another serial killer pretending to be a good guy. <laughs> Because that's exactly, I know you came later, but still, like, <laughs> it, anyway. Uh, it, it, character's name, by the way, is is Michael. Cela Ward is Susan. And Dylan Walsh is the stepfather. His name is David. And Amber Heard's name is Kelly. So if you hear us say those names in the future, that's who we're talking about. I also liked Penn Badgley's hair better here than in you. <laughs> Just wanted to mention that. Yeah, he seemed more dreamy in this, and he seemed kind of doofy in you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
Agree. It's kind of all down to the hair. <laughs> it is. It is purely the hair. <laughs> needs to go back to that old haircut. So the stepfather saying the wrong name in the original happens when he's showing a house to a prospective buyer and their kid. In this, it happens kind of early on, and he does it to Michael. They're having dinner, just the two of them, or having lunch, just the two of them to have a conversation. And he says the wrong name when he's talking about his dead daughter. Because they know, oh yeah, his family died in a car accident, or whatever it is that they say, I don't remember. My little Michelle was my whole world, my whole, my whole life. Watching her grow up was everything. You'll understand what I'm talking about when you have kids of your own. When it happens, I think you'll see what I mean. Lisa would have turned 11 next week. Who's Lisa? My daughter. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said her name was uh, Michelle. Did I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Lisa Michelle. You must have heard it wrong. So I talked about how they may- they hook up quite a bit. Well... The stepfather sees them hooking up at one point, and he talks to his girlfriend, his his fiance, and he's like, don't you think that they're, you know, a little young? And she's just like, stop being so old-fashioned. And it's interesting because in the first one, it seemed a lot more believable because it was a daughter. Yeah, uh-huh. And then here it's with a son and just sexism. It's a American shitty double sexism. standard. It is. But it's also time. Time is another part of it, you know. This is when we meet the the ex-husband. So Jay, yeah. instead of having her be a widow, in this version she is simply a divorcee. And when the father shows up, he picks up the daughter and the younger son, but Pen Badgley does not go out to say hello to him. No. And they don't do a good job of explaining why I mean, they, they don't him. have to. There was a divorce, and the oldest son probably understands a little bit more about what was going on, but is not as understanding as, like, forgiving, you know? So we don't need to know the reason. I'm fine without it. During this time, Susan mentions that the crazy cat lady across the street was watching America's Most Wanted and saw the story of the man who killed his family. And he's done this before. And she's like, it looked like David or whatever. And so now he knows. And he does this shitty thing where he's like, just mad dogging her. It's like, are you trying to reduce the suspicion? Are you trying to <laughs> intimidate her into shutting up? Like, And that's the thing. Like, he's just too crazy. He doesn't know. This version of the stepfather doesn't know how to hold back and restraint. So it's not quite as frightening when he does finally, you know, get violent. When it's the first one who is, who looks like he's kind of constantly pent up, but he's really good at controlling that. When he does burst, it's frightening. Like when he beats the the therapist. In this, he breaks into the crazy cat lady's house, pushes her down the stairs into her basement, and Makes then suffocates Makes it look like an her. accident. yeah. I mean, I guess they wouldn't do an autopsy because it's an old lady who fell down the stairs. They probably wouldn't find out that she died because she was suffocated. I wondered if they made her a crazy cat lady because she's just supposed to be, you know, not believable. Like, people wouldn't believe her because she's the crazy cat lady. Or if they were going to play a little thing where the cats were going to, like, eat her. They found her a week later half-eaten or whatever. But no. They don't do any of that. It does take them a while to find her, though. Mm-hmm. 
So there's a confrontation between Jay and David. Susan tells her youngest son to turn the video game down, and he doesn't. He doesn't pay attention. David barges in and grabs him, like, not by the back of the neck, but like at the back of the neck and kind of, like, squeezes kind of hard and like you do what your mother told you to do or whatever right scares the kid to death and he ends up telling his dad jay and so jay the next time he comes he bursts in and like gets all up in david's face don't you ever touch my son like that yada 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 and david does the right thing which is you know he's like he's right i shouldn't have done it to to seal a ward i overreacted he was disrespecting you and i didn't like that but i overreacted and it won't happen again Nobody's like, Jay said you choked his kid and you didn't do that. Yes, you were aggressive and you shouldn't have done it. But like, he wasn't strangling the kid or anything. My dad's grabbed me like that. Right. (laughs) But remember, A, he's the stepfather. So already they don't like each other. Uh And B, any excuse to say, hey, this guy's hurting my child. Get him out of here. Yeah. Is going to be something they're going to jump on. So I don't think anybody would be surprised that he would over-exaggerate. Yeah. He also, like, because things are going kind of downhill at this point, he also quits his job really early on. And Paige Turco, April O'Neil, Jackie in this movie, she works with him and she asks him for personal information. And, like, you know, oh, you're social security card, you know, like I need all this stuff so we can get you into the system and and get your taxes all squared away and all of that. Before it was he would quit his job so he could spend that time creating a new identity in another town. And this one, they kind of clean up my problems I had before by saying he quits his job because uh, he thought he could get by without ever giving them that stuff. Just saying, oh yeah, I'll do it and then never doing it. But it Gets to a head at a certain point and he just quits. That's always been the problem with movies about people who get different jobs. Like, I've always wondered Where do about they get that. all their documents mm-hmm. and shit like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, there are people who employ... I've never had a job that wasn't like a trade show job or something like that where I was paid in cash uh, where they didn't require that information. It's weird to me that people get by in jobs that with fake identities. Yeah. It's what are these strange. businesses that are hiring these people? I mean, I've had friends that have worked at places where, like, they pay you in cash and under the table, but it's never a, a real job, right. you know? Like, yeah. you work at, like, well, one it's of those a, it's pop-up a job, but it's not, stores. Yes, yeah. You know what uh-huh, I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's not a real estate firm, you exactly. know? Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, anyway, he quits. And then, so that way, Sila finds out he's quit right away. And he's like, well, it, it wasn't working out. And like, what are you talking about? Jackie said you just made a big sale recently. You were doing fantastic and everyone loves you. And he's like, it's just not for me. Like, yeah, I'm good at it, but I don't like it. It's just oh, perfectly reasonable. He's like, well, I guess I'll just have to find a new job. And there's this implication that he used to have a job that required him to travel a lot. And that's how he would go create these new identities where he would be traveling for his job. They also don't really say how he gets any of the money to sustain this, but whatever. And so he's like, he promises, I'll try to find one that doesn't have as much traveling, you know, but he's already quit his job. But Jackie doesn't let it go. She's like, 
I mean, you you still earned money. We're still going to have to declare this on our payroll taxes and stuff. Like, <laughs> we still need this information. <laughs> and so she does not trust him. It makes her really suspicious. And eventually she You're ends being up, catfished. Yeah. <laughs> eventually she ends up calling Jay and being like, Jay, what do you know? Jay shows up one day and the two sons are upstairs playing video games loudly again. And Penn Badgley is like, Hey, don't worry if they come up here and yell at you because it's too loud. I'll protect you. Don't worry. You know, because the kid's a little bit worried. And at this point, Penn Badgley and his real father have like made up or something. Well, because Penn Badgley had to tear his dad off of David and was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and they just they just finally talked again. It wasn't like he's OK with his dad, but they're on speaking terms now again. And David didn't like that very much. Mm-mm. So when Jay shows up because he's conveniently going on a business trip where he's going to have to travel and no one expects him home for a long time. That's how it always happens. Yes. You know, <laughs> it happens multiple times in this movie. <laughs> and with contrivance upon contrivance. But <laughs> he's on his way. There's the taxi. Hey, I just wanted to say goodbye to my kids before they left. And he confronts him. He's like, hey, I heard you were a swimmer for Oregon State. And... I found out that they'd never heard of you, you know, and so. Never lay your cards out, people. No. <laughs> never lay your cards out. Like, what do you expect him to do? Either be like, well, well he, you got me, or. He doesn't think he's a killer. Right. He just that thinks just he's ha- lying that about who he is. That just hasn't crossed yeah. his mind. But here's the thing, people. It doesn't matter if you think you're dealing with a killer or not. An average, everyday, normal person has a breaking point. Whether you think he's going to kill you or not, it could still end up in a physical altercation. But I mean, you're, th- yeah, you're threatening yes. his life. I mean, not like you're threatening to kill him, but Go you're threatening to, to destroy his life. Yeah. Go to the wife exactly. and explain it. Exactly. But he doesn't. And so instead, David kills him. Do we ever find out? Oh, yeah. He hides the body in the freezer. And he also has the telephone that he uses to be like, you know, while he's killing him, Penn calls his dad, be like, hey, where are you? We're waiting for you. So it rings while he's trying to kill the guy. Yeah. And so he kills him and doesn't immediately silence the cell phone. He doesn't silence the cell phone at fucking all. And instead he texts him saying, oh, sorry, buddy. Couldn't make it. I'll hit you up on the flip side. Whatever. So now there's an excuse as to why... He never came by, and no one expects to see him again for several days. So convenient. Mm -hmm. Then they find the crazy cat lady's body. David's outside, and he ends up talking to the mail carrier, and they talk about it. But he doesn't give him certain details. Michael is up upstairs, and he's looking at him, and he hears the conversation. And so when David comes back in and says to the family, oh, yeah, crazy cat lady across the street, she fell down the stairs and broke her neck. Michael's like, you don't know that. Mm-hmm. The mail carrier never told you that. But he doesn't actually say that. It's just more things he talks to his girlfriend about. It, yeah, because it would mean he'd have to admit that he was spying. Yeah. Uh-huh. Just think about it, please. One day, this woman tells my mom about this show that she saw, and the next, she's dead. She's dead now. It was an accident. You said so yourself. So how does he know that she broke her neck falling down the stairs? How does he know that the mailman never said anything about that? I heard the whole conversation, I swear. And then, of course, the father could just say, you couldn't hear from that far away. There is this 
stupid fucking subplot about them applying for colleges and Amber Heard getting mad at him because he's too focused on how his dad might be a killer. I'm like, telling you, they wanted this to be a teenage yeah, horror film. It's so unnecessary. It is. And it just wastes time, and it's needless drama that has nothing to do with the story. And it's not even that realistic. Because, like, you know, it's one of those moments where he's looking at stuff, and she's talking to him. He's like, uh-huh. And she says something else, and he's like, uh-huh. And she says, hey, I fucked some other guy. And he's like, uh-huh. You know, like, it's that stupid trope mm-hmm. in movies. Like, it's that's all it does for this movie is just supply it with more tropes that we've already seen before. So why are we here watching this? <laughs> Sounds like we hate this movie. I promise we don't. <laughs> but he he doesn't. He gets more and more focused on trying to prove that this this guy in their life is a killer. And so Amber Heard just goes, fuck you, I'm out of here. And she leaves. So, uh, Jackie, Jackie, Jackie. Your wife is in Hawaii. And you're going to fly out there separately to meet her. You're also going on a trip where no one expects to see you for a while. Oh, but your wife's on the other end, so she'll expect to see you actually arrive there. So somebody will know immediately if you don't show up. Oh, no, no, no. She's going on a cruise around the islands and won't be home all throughout the night until way later. And she won't be able to be reached by phone. So don't even try to call her. So like, this is what I'm talking about when I'm like contrivance upon contrivance. This is already the second person who reveals that they're suspicious about David the same time that they're about to leave on a trip. Mm -hmm. But then this one has like three additional contrivances on top of that. So David finds out because he reads an email that Jackie sends to Susan saying like, Hey, don't get mad. I did hire an investigator to look into him or whatever. Really what she had done is she talked to Jay and Jay was looking into him so he goes to her house, and as she's getting ready to leave, it's a dark and stormy night, another contrivance, and he drowns her in the pool. So it looks like she fell in during the storm and died that way. Convenient. <laughs> it does sound like we hate this movie. It really does. But honestly... But it's, it's because we're comparing it to the it's original. It's all the differences. Yeah. So basically, we would have been happy if they had just... Completely just remade it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded them changing it up for a boy instead of a girl. I wouldn't have minded. Eh. I thought, I mean, it adds to the, I hate to, it's going to sound sexist, but it adds to the threat. You know what I mean? Of a young girl who's 16 and whose stepfather is dangerous. Like, that's a much more threatening situation than a kid back from military school who's in great shape and a professional swimmer and could totally take this guy out. He just needs to catch him in the act or whatever. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, that's what I'm saying is it's more from the perspective of the kid again. It's another reason why is because now he's a hero that needs to solve a problem as opposed to like the final girl trope where like, you know, she's hunted or whatever. We don't get that in this one. Michael gets so suspicious that he's like, I'm going to find out what's in those cabinets that are locked up in the basement that he created. Amber Heard is going to, like, watch out for him. 
And there's another scene earlier on where they're looking through all of his stuff in his bedroom. And then he comes home and is looking for them. And then they're magically outside again. And they don't explain how they do it. And it's completely unimportant. It's just a moment of tension. But this one. But it also tells him that he can't trust the kid. Right. Yes. This one has them in the basement. And this is where we know stuff is hidden. Hidden. Right. Like, yeah, the dad's luggage, the dad's phone, the dad are all in the basement. They're looking through, and he he knows his dad's body is somewhere. Like, he had to have done something with the body. There must be evidence somewhere. And he looks over at the freezer, and he's like, okay. And he starts digging through the freezer, and he does eventually find his dad's body there. But David's shown up and attacks Amber Heard, and then locks them in the basement because it's a key bolt lock. Susan's awake and she wakes up. There's this interaction where he immediately goes into threatening mode and yelling at her for being a bad parent. You know, your kid is being disrespectful to me and yada, 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 yada. So in, in the original where it's him trying to explain what's going on. Oh, no, no, I didn't quit. I'm, I am still work there. And then he slips up. In this, it's, you're a bad parent. I thought you could have been the next Mrs. Grady Edwards. And she's like, who? <laughs> who the fuck is Grady Edwards? <sighs> this is when he says, who am I here? And it's an all right delivery. Yeah. She is like, David, like, snap out of it. What's going on? Yeah, what like are you she doing? He's gone like crazy. Yes. And he's, and he's like, David. I'm David Harris. I thought I could make this work, but I can't. This isn't the right family for me. The boy is the problem. He has no respect. You haven't been hard enough on him. You've got to make a boy understand. You've got to break him if necessary. You're too weak to do that. What are you talking about? I thought it could work, but it can't. I thought you could be Mrs. Grady Edwards, but you can't. What did you say? Wait. Wait a minute. Who am I here? David, what are David! David Harris. Ah! And she runs away. She locks herself in the bathroom. And he's like banging on the door and the mirror's shattering. And it's just creating a weapon, basically, for her to use. We had the broken glass from the first movie. This one is something similar where it's a piece of mirror. She grabs onto it and keeps it. And then when David actually gets in, he grabs hold of her and she just fucking jabs it in his neck. He falls down and everyone thinks that he's dead. Uh, Michael gets out of the basement because he knows something's going on upstairs and he's freaking out. He wakes up Amber Heard and David's awake and he's back up again and chases them into the attic. So now we're back up into the attic scene. Michael and David fight and Amber Heard grabs a buzzsaw, <laughs> which nothing happens with it, which is so weird. They fall through the ceiling this time. It's Amber Heard and Seal Ward fall through the ceiling this time. And there's the buzzsaw, but like it turns off immediately when it lands. You're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? They're falling through the air and there's a buzzsaw, but nothing, nothing happens. Yeah. They don't even focus on it. It went nowhere. Yeah, which is really Why weird. Why is it there? <laughs> yeah, it's very, very weird. Meanwhile, David and Michael are fighting their way out to the roof. David falls off. Michael looks over the edge and we see underneath the eaves of the roof. And there's nothing there. But still, magically, 
David springs up, ah, and they both fall off the roof and get knocked out. Michael wakes up. He's been unconscious. For a month. Yes. He's been in a month-long coma, and his girlfriend, Amber Heard, and his mom, Celia Ward, are there, and he's like, what happened to David? Where is he? And he's like, he disappeared before the cops showed up. And then we cut to David. He changed his whole look and everything. And he's working at like a Home Depot or a Lowe's or whatever. And he finds a new single mom. And then we are introduced to a horrible rendition of Me and You by the Turtles. Yes, this one by Filter of Hey Man, Nice Shot fame. (laughs) 14 years after Hey Man, Nice Shot came out. (laughs) Me and you! You and me! Ow. (laughs) It's really bad playing over the credits. Like, I'm sorry, Filter. I like Hey Man, Nice Shot. But this is awful. It's really bad. Mm-hmm. You guys have to hear it. We will play a little bit at the end of this episode, so keep an ear out for it. And that is the plot of 2009's The Stepfather. Kelsey, lightning round. Just a couple of little things. So the idea that they're getting married, like, that's why he asks Pem Badgley to be his best man. How does he plan to explain no family, no friends? Right. How does that explain? It's always an issue where a stranger is actually a killer or running away from a, you know, an old life or whatever. Like, I guess they're trying to, some people just don't have relationships with their family and all their friends that they have are friends of their significant other. Like some people, it's just like that, but they don't bring it up at all. There's so many things I could say about the teenage relationship, but like, I'm not going to, but basically... It is just this whole subplot is so unnecessary. I know we've already said that, but it just, there's so much filler going on here. And I want to talk to this director and be like, not every horror movie has to be a teenage horror movie. Yeah. There are horror fans that do not need it to be that way. Yep. There's a lot of those sort of, I know we talk about contrivances, we talk about, tropes the teen slasher all of that and there is a lot of that like kelsey just said there's a few things references back to the original too where it doesn't make much sense so we saw in the beginning that he has a grooming kit and that's what he uses to change his appearance but he shaves completely down and his hair is really short and yet when he decides he's going to kill the family we see the grooming kit open. Well, doesn't he completely buzz down and then he gives himself a fake mustache? Yeah, but what's the what the fuck is the is the grooming kit for? I think he completely buzzes uh, his head. There's down. no there's no shaver in there. Mm. Anyway, well, that's probably where he keeps his fake. Yeah, stuff. well, it's just a visual symbol of his intentions. That's all yes. it is. But it's it's one that doesn't make sense in the context of the scene. There's also when okay, so they break into the basement when David and Susan are supposed to be asleep, and so Amber Heard's job is to like call him if anyone wakes up, and she knows that David wakes up, and so when she calls him, his phone, which he set on the table, vibrates off of the table, and. 
Somehow Pem Badgley doesn't notice that. Yes. <laughs> like, it's a phone vibrating off of a table has maybe happened to me twice in my entire life. It's ha- it falls off the my bed all the time. Yeah, no, it happens. But I mean, like, when somebody calls. And you notice it because you right. hear the buzzing and you yes. hear it fall to the ground. Right. <laughs> And if it's on vibrate, why would you have taken it out of your pocket? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Also, why kill Jackie? She's like, she, you, the email that you saw is that, hey, I'm wondering about him. I'm going to look into him when I get back from my trip, which I am leaving for tonight. Now, David already planned to kill this family. He was going to be long gone by the time she got back. Why the fuck does he care about her? Less people that know who he is. Yeah, but everyone knows who he is. Everyone he worked with, everyone he sold the house to, which, by the way, he became friends with everyone he sold houses to. Like, why? Oh, I gotta kill her. We just need a death at this point. Same reason that they introduced the crazy cat lady. Mm-hmm. Oh, one of the reasons why Penn Badgley is suspicious of him is that they know he went to America's Most Wanted.com, which he wrote into the browser search engine field, like not into the actual URL field, which just classic, classic. But anyway, the point is, is that the original movie is based on a guy, a real guy named Richard List. He murdered his family and nobody knew where he went. 18 years later, he had created a new identity. A neighbor of his recognized him on an episode of America's Most Wanted. And that's how he ended up being caught, because the neighbor reported it to the police. Didn't just say, hey, lady, you know, your new husband looks a lot like a guy I saw on the television. No, she called the police, or he called the police, or whomever. The thing is, is that that was already two years after the first movie came out. So the one that the first movie is based on is a real thing that happened and they never caught the guy. And then two years after that movie came out, there was an America's Most Wanted episode about him. And then that's how they caught him. Really? And so they incorporated the America's Most Wanted element into this one. Interesting. Yeah. But the drawing that they have of him doesn't look like him at all. Yeah. And they didn't have any pictures, but then they make a point about how he doesn't like to be photographed. That's another reason why Michael's suspicious because he takes a surreptitious photograph of David and then he takes a shower and then it's gone. Who leaves their phone in the room while they're in the shower? I don't know who does that, but especially when they're in different rooms, you don't leave it on like the counter or something like that. Well, it used to be that if your phone got even close to water. Yeah, I guess. But then he's like, oh, the picture's gone. And Amber Heard is like, are you sure you saved it? You didn't accidentally delete it. It's gone. What? The shot I took of him before, it's gone. He deleted it and now there's no pictures of him anywhere. Well, maybe he deleted it by accident. No, I didn't. Have you not been listening to me? <sighs> well, I thought you said he didn't see you take it. Maybe he did. Or maybe, maybe he's been checking my phone this whole time. I don't know. But he came into my room. When I was in the shower, he deleted it. I know we did. He doesn't want his picture taken. It doesn't mean he's a killer. The key to the basement didn't just get lost. All right, he's always down there. He's hiding something. That's a dumb conversation. <laughs> There's a really good moment between the mother and the stepfather. Once the stepfather is has become unhappy within the home... The mother tries to talk to him, and she's like, I just want you to be as happy as I am. 
And there's this moment where it feels real, like, and he just kind of looks at her and he says, have fun. Like, I'm not happy. And I want you to know it. Mm -hmm. That's something that would really happen between a couple. Yeah. Except that I don't think it would really happen here because he doesn't want her to know that he's unhappy. Right. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. He makes some bad decisions. When he kills Jay, when he first attacks him, he smashes a vase over his head, like a glass vase or whatever it was, a, a wedding gift we find out later from Celia Ward. That's okay. I didn't like it anyway. Right. Which is, that was actually kind of fun because he was like, hey, I, I have a confession to make. And she's like, yeah, because everyone's been telling him he's a weirdo. There's something up with him. You shouldn't be marrying him after six months or whatever. And he's like, I broke that thing downstairs. And she's like, ah, it's okay. It was a wedding gift. I didn't like it. It's like, really? <laughs> yeah, okay. So that was kind of cute. But his kids are upstairs playing video games. And your method of attacking him is not with a blunt object. It's to smash glass over his head. It's messy. It's hard to, to pick up. It will cut him open. There will be blood everywhere. And it's loud. Well, I had a whole problem with that whole sequence anyway. That's when Penn Badgley stops the game. He's like, what was that? And it's like, you didn't hear the whole kerfuffle between yeah, the, the two uh-huh. guys. You only heard it when glass breaks. Like, yeah. the father comes in screaming at the stepfather, but he doesn't hear that somehow. He doesn't come in screaming at him. He's yelling at him. No, no, no. This is different. This is one where he's, that's the one where he's like, you touch my fucking kid. The one I'm talking about is where he's like, hey, so uh, yeah, I heard you're a swimmer. They start and, to talk uh, very loudly before he comes after Well, him. yeah, because you're right, because David kind of walks away and then disappears. And the guy's kind of like calling out after him, like, like you would shout down a hall, like, hey, you know, like that kind of loud. You're right. They don't hear any of that. It's just so sloppy in that Mm -hmm. regard. The game they're playing, by the way, is Burnout, and Burnout is awesome and excellent, and I love it so much, and I'm glad that it got some airtime in this movie. The part where the stepfather comes home and realizes that they've been in his room was really irritating to me as well, because they're in the pool, and they get out to go mm-hmm. and look in his room. Oh, I thought that was really natural, by the way, because he's going to go pick up the kids. They're at some thing, and it's going to take him like an hour. And so they're like, oh, great. We can use this time to search, right? And he drives off, and it's gonna. I figured it was going to be like, uh, oh, where's my phone? I forgot my phone. Or, oh, I forgot something. Let me just turn around back. You know, like, people are either back within five minutes or they're gone for a long amount of time. Like you never start searching in the first five to 10 minutes of somebody being gone. Cause they could just come right back. Uh, Oh, I forgot my backpack or something. But this one, it was like, Hey, I got off work a little bit earlier than I thought. I'll pick up the kids. Are you sure? I'm, I've already left. No, 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 they're closer to me. You go ahead and head back home. Like it was a, it was a reasonable scenario why he would just turn around and come right back home. I agree with that. They don't bother to show them drying off, and yet their bodies are dry. And I remember thinking, that's weird. Why did they do that? I guess it was just an oversight, or they decided to edit it out. But then later, they show the reason that he knows they've been inside his room is because he sees their wet footprints. Which implies that they dried off their bodies... But didn't dry off their feet to the point that they had foot marks going all the way through the house Mm -hmm. to the guy's bedroom. Yeah. 
you know the one thing that kids dry off when they go inside the, their homes? Is their feet. Is and then nothing feet. else, so they're just like dripping wet Exactly. Else. You yeah. should be dripping everywhere else, not on your feet. The feet are the first thing you do because you can slip. If your feet are that wet that they're going to leave complete footprints all the way to the, the bedroom, you would A, have probably slipped, and B, why on earth aren't you dripping from anywhere else? Because this movie made it, really poor decisions. It just doesn't think everything through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, who wallpapers their closet? I don't know. I imagine <laughs> they, some people do. They have this whole, like, in, like... Um, closet shelves and stuff like that have... But, like, the whole, like, it's... They have a walk-in closet. And the whole room is, like, densely wallpapered. It's, like, bright green, dark green with, like... I don't remember that Big flowers... <laughs> And it makes the room feel smaller, which when you have an when you have a walk-in closet, you want it to feel large. I mean, that's what mirrors do. It does two things. It makes a room feel larger, and because it's a closet, like a walk-in closet, you can look at yourself and what you're getting dressed in. Like that's why wallpaper. Why put up wallpaper? <laughs> a big pattern on it. You put it on one wall. Yeah. You uh-huh. never put it on all the walls because yeah. it is a statement wall. Yeah. Kills has been. Not Ben. Because he watches a lot of those kind of shows. I like interior design. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of things I could talk about. Like, there's a lot of just little things. But I feel like all the little things I wrote make it sound like I didn't like it. And I don't want to keep saying that. Yeah. Because I actually thought it was a pretty decent movie. Honestly, it's all not the- stellar or great no. or anything. It's just okay, but it's not as bad as we're making it sound. If they had taken out a lot of the teenager crap, this movie would probably be almost just as good as the original. Yeah. Which I think just kind of says more for the original. Because the original is very, very good, and it's a good story, and it's spooky, and it's and it's tense. And this movie has all of that. Yeah. It just added on to it with a bunch of bullshit. And there's little details that I didn't like. and But I don't want to keep reading those because I don't want it to make sound like this is a bad movie because it's not. Can you just rattle a few off? I'm curious. Here's one thing I did like that I haven't mentioned yet. Okay. At one point, he's looking at his new daughter... The younger one, who we barely see in the film. Like, she doesn't even really get, like, a moment, even like the little brother does. But if you're paying attention to her, which I was, you see that the little girl likes him a lot. Yeah. uh Like, at one point, she even, like, kisses his cheek. Yeah. Um, Because she's young enough. It's believable, yeah. And when he, at one point, he looks at her, and in his mind, she turns into the girl that he killed. And I kind of liked that. Yeah. Because I do believe that he has trouble remembering where he is, who the people are around him, because they don't really matter. Yeah. Their individual personalities are completely unimportant to him. But I liked that because it was kind of neat showing us how his realities are all over the place in his mind. So I did like that. To add on to that, the movie... How we say we never see the the youngest kids, especially the youngest daughter, but we hardly ever see the youngest son. They just disappear 
for the last <laughs> act of this movie. Yeah. Like, everyone's supposed to be asleep. I don't know if I just missed a line where they were both over at friends' houses or something like that conveniently, because that would be another contrivance that all this happens to go down while those kids are gone. But, like, people are falling through ceilings and fighting on the roof and cops show up. And, like, even when Michael wakes back up again, it's Amber Heard and Celia Ward, not his two siblings. Like, where are they? <laughs> it just... They forgot they they wanted to use them for some world building, like with the youngest daughter showing relationships for some controversy with the younger son, with the neck grabbing and the playing of the video games. But once they've served their purpose, they just disappear from the movie. But yeah, I had asked you to rattle off a few of those comments you had. So they make it a point to show us how messy Penn Badgley's room is. So when he comes back in from the shower and finds that the picture has been deleted, I think they also meant to make a big deal about the fact that the father had clearly cleaned the room. I didn't even notice that. No one did, because they didn't mention it. That's awesome. That is fantastic. I want more of that. Mm-hmm. But they don't even mention it. He it's kind of cool that they don't mention it a little bit. Well, kind of, but like he, Pen Badgley like looks around the room like, he was in here and cleaned my room. But he doesn't mention that to Amber Heard. He only tells Amber, hey, this picture uh-huh. got deleted. Yeah. And she has all this bullshit. Well, you could have just not saved it. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't bother to tell her, also, my room was picked up. Right. It's yeah. like they just decided to just, eh, fuck it. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Nobody's taking pictures at that barbecue that they have. His work doesn't take photographs of their employees. Like, it's just unbelievable that he's gotten this far and all they have is a police sketch of him. The editing is very awkward. So a lot of the time, especially towards the end, and the score several times feels like it doesn't match what's happening in the, mm-hmm. in the movie, you know? Yeah. Like, a score is supposed to elevate the film. It's not supposed to be... If you're no John Williams, your score should not be standing out too much. It should be elevating it, yeah. and it should be a light... Uh, it should be a nice thing that you notice occasionally. Yeah. But when I'm noticing that it's totally off with the action that's happening mm-hmm. on screen, you're doing a bad job. Now, I don't know if that's the 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 composer or if it's the editor, because I'm telling you that the editing in this movie is very strange. There are several points, like I said, especially at the end, where it's super awkward and, like, cuts from different, like, angles to different faces that, like, why am I looking at this person's face right now? So maybe it was the editor fucking around with this dude's score. The composer is Charlie Klauser. He he composed Saw and Wayward Pines, the TV show. And the editor is Eric Beeson, who's done a lot of horror movies, including uh, The Possession and Don't Breathe. The editor? we liked, yeah. He also did For the Love of the Game, The Rookie. Man, does he like baseball movies? He did Blood Fist 3, Forced to Fight. I mean, this editor, I mean, he is the reason... Why there are several times in this movie where we're looking at where the stepfather should be. 
Like, there are parts where he's supposed to be hiding, but the film clearly shows you the area where he's supposed to be. He's not there. Like I mentioned the eaves earlier. Yeah. Yes, and then two seconds later, he's there. Uh-huh. And that's the editor's job. You've got to notice that shit. Yeah. Well, it's the editor, and it's the... Yes, obviously the director script should be super- a little bit. No, the script supervisor's job is is to do that. Yeah, right. But it, but the it, it's at the end of the day, the editor is the final one to look at the piece yeah. and say, "Oh fuck, that's where the killer's supposed to be. I should cut it there so that you can't see that he's not there." Mm-hmm. And the producers are ultimately responsible for the total package. So, like, yeah, if you've ever heard the term auteur. When a director's influence is so strong that they could basically be seen as the author of the film. That's normally not the case. Traditionally, it's the producers that own the whole package. And the director's job is just to, you know, get everything shot, right? Like film everything with the cinematographer who does the camera stuff and all of that. So really, the producers are responsible here. They're responsible for signing off on everything. Yeah, uh uh-huh. But again, if everyone is just looking at this movie as just a cheap teenage slasher, yeah. then they're not going to care enough to pay attention to that stuff. And I think that's probably this movie's biggest downfall. I feel like the people who made it didn't care. I feel like the actors are doing a fine job. I feel like the story is a good story. I just feel like the people who made it are just like, yeah, it's just a stupid teenage slasher that we can make money off of. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just it's textbook not understanding your genre. You know, we didn't talk about Dylan Walsh. We talked about it last episode. We didn't talk about it this episode. The guy who played David, he's the dude from Nip Tuck and Congo. Congo? <laughs> yes. No, he's the weakling from Nip Tuck. Yeah. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, could it be 11? Yes, you're exactly right. She saw it, damn it. Mm-hmm. It's an 11. This tepid remake of- 11! <laughs> that's, that's a Stranger Things reference. <laughs> this tepid remake of the 1987 cult classic lacks the tension and satirical undercurrents of the original. Metacritic 33, cinema score B-, minus. actually. So people coming out of it were like, it was all right. Pretty good. Well, again, think about the audience they were trying to play. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I mean, like, a, it's not an 11, a B minus in an 11, those two things together, and a 33 Metacritic. Like, it's obvious that there's there's a, there's a disconnect here between... Between the reviewers and the audience? And the audience, yeah. There always is. Not always. Not, not one this drastic. Well, there is when, like I said, they have a very specific audience in mind... And the original film was not intended for that audience. Yeah. And so critics showed up expecting it to be like the original. And it wasn't. The audience that they were going for. I'd never even heard of the original. Exactly. And they were just going out to see a scary movie on Friday night. Exactly. And they had no idea what to expect. And when they got out of it, they're like, oh, it's pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. So overrated or underrated? 11 is way, way too small. Way too little. It is. Yes. I think 33 is also too little. Yeah. But I wouldn't give it a B minus. That's what I gave the original. Right. So? I would give it a 60. I was going to go a little bit higher than that, but not too much higher. I was going to give it like a 60. 
64. 65 felt just too high, too close to 70. I was so, thinking of a 63, and then I, after our conversation, went down to 60. <laughs> it's definitely not an 11. No. I, I mean, again, again, we Rotten have Tomatoes. We seen 11s on this show. Yes. The way, <laughs> the way Rotten Tomatoes works isn't that the score is 11, so it's 11% good. It's that only 11% of reviewers had an overall positive review of the film. I bet so many people are like, this is such a dumb, like, that we have, we have to have, we have to have this conversation a lot. Yeah. To explain ourselves. <laughs> and I'm sure that a lot of people are like, so why do you base it on Rotten Tomatoes? Well, we bring out Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic <laughs> and CinemaScore because they're like the aggregators, you know, like they That's give what you. people look at. They give you an understanding of what the general consensus is. Yes. But nobody I can't looks believe at, nobody looks at an eleven and is like, hmm. Do I believe that it's just the critics? Do I believe yeah, that I uh-huh. no? You look at it and you're like, eleven. That looks like a piece of shit. Right. And when people come out and when a movie comes out and it's like it's ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes and you're like, holy shit, ninety eight percent of the critics liked it. That's a lot. Like you can you can still actually really glean something from that. So that's why we use it. Maybe one day we'll move over to Metacritic, which isn't perfect either, but it's a little bit closer to an aggregate of actual scores. Maybe one day we'll see. So that was 2009's The Stepfather ending our Father's Day episode. Our Father's Day double feature. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is a recommendation week. Uh-huh. And we will be watching Wait Until Dark and Hush. And this came to us from Rachel. Rachel, thank you very much. We had already seen Hush. I'm excited to watch it again. We really like Hush. We'd never seen Wait Until Dark, which stars a creepy Alan Arkin up against a blind Audrey Hepburn. Yes. And in Hush, the main character who was in Legend of what's the what's the TV show? The Haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Hill House. All those Legend of Haunting of Hill House, Hell House, like okay, whatever. Yes, in the Haunting of Hell House. Uh, she's Hill the House. Fucking hell. <laughs> In the Haunting of Hill House, she's the one who has the sensory powers where she can when touch she things. things. Yes. Yeah. She's the main character in Hush. She's actually the wife of the writer or the director, I don't remember which. And she's deaf. So this is a sort of sensory disability. Now, what's week. interesting about this? Uh-huh. If you were to ever ask me, which would you rather be, blind or deaf? I would pick deaf. Yeah. But in this case. Oh, yeah. Being blind seems to be a much better option than being deaf. (laughs) Yes, very, very much so. Yeah, it's interesting. We're going to see some home invasion films where the homeowners or the people who are in the homes are missing a sense that's going to be vital to their survival. So... Really, really compelling stuff. I'm excited for that one. Thank you very much, Rachel. Until then, you can always reach us on our website, podcemetery.com, where you can see every episode we've ever released and every movie we've ever talked about. You can also follow us on Twitter at podcemetery or email us at podcemetery at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. Five-star written reviews, of course, are always the best thing. Thank you for sharing us with your friends and for listening in the heck in first place. 
Thank you all so much. We love each and every one of you. Until next time, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Before we go, Kelsey, any last words? I thought I could make this work, but I can't. This isn't the right family for me. That is how I drink a newly opened can of Monster Energy Zero Ultra, the white can. The only energy drink I ever drink. It's pretty good. Zero calories, zero sugar. It's just going to explode my heart. But if I can do that without consuming calories, then F yeah. You ready for quiet time? Fuck you. Well, she said she sent something. Well, she sent it. Then I haven't checked, but I thought she was going to do it through sheets. My mom doesn't know anything about Google Docs. I sent it to her. She probably copied and pasted it into Excel and then emailed it back. It's funny because that sounds so archaic. She's in her 60s. <laughs> she attached an Excel spreadsheet to an email. <laughs> All right. That's exactly <laughs> what you said. <laughs> yep. That is exactly what I said. Mm-hmm. I told you. She doesn't know no Google. I didn't know how to do the Google thing back. <laughs> I know my mother. Yes, I Although know. Although like, taught it. <laughs> there is like sex and stuff, isn't it? Isn't there? Not really. They talk about like drinking. I, they talk about being attracted to girls. I don't think they... I know Dallas has sex, but they don't, like, go into explicit detail. Isn't there that one line, too, in the movie where it's like, how's it hanging? And the dude says, thick, slick, and hard as a brick. I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't think like that's that in Like that line in, in Liar Liar. Hey, how's it hanging? Short, shriveled, and a little to the left. <laughs> <laughs> People are dumb. People are dumb. I feel like maybe I've actually asked you that question before. Why don't you present it like you would, and I'll tell you. For what agency does a friend of the protagonist Chris Washington work for in 2017's Get Out? For what agency does he work for? Does that really say that? It should be for what agency does he work? For what agency does a friend of the protagonist Chris Washington work for? Ugh. <laughs> That's lazy. <laughs>
People always try to do that. They try to front load the preposition because they know they're not supposed to end a sentence in a preposition. Yeah. And then they just end it in the preposition anyway. Which you can totally end a sentence in a preposition. They don't in, in end many in a cases, preposition. It ends. No, with- I understand. They end the phrase in a preposition, which you're not supposed to do. It's supposed to be for something, right? But that's not actually the case. You can totally do it. But people try to avoid it and then they fuck it up anyway and they end up being redundant or completely inconsistent. And I've been noticing that a lot lately. Anyway, this is going to get taken out because, yes, you did ask me that question before. <clears throat> he works for the TS motherfucking A. That's right. It's your fucking whatever his name is from E.T. and Indiana Jones. John Williams. John Williams. The conversation, yeah, like, between Penn Badgley and Amber Heard, every single one is just so pointless. I'm nuts! <laughs>